Welcome to Straight Talk with NDFB. Join me, Emery Melhoff, as I explore the issue of Measure 1, a constitutional amendment to put term limits on North Dakota's governor and restrict your state legislators to eight years in the House and the Senate. In spring 2022, North Dakota Farm Bureau took a stance against term limits. We believe term limits will increase the bureaucracy of agencies, shift power away from the legislature to the executive branch, and ultimately harm rural North Dakota. In this episode, I visit with Matthew Bogue, Public Policy Director for South Dakota Farm Bureau. In the 90s, South Dakota adopted term limits. Matt talks about how prior to term limits, institutional knowledge made way for property tax reform and less spending in South Dakota. He shares how term limits have attributed to less thoughtful spending, leads to political games, and how the power of influence has shifted away from the legislature and to the executive branch and special interest groups. Join us for this conversation. Welcome to Straight Talk with NDFB. This is your host, Emery Melhoff. Today, I'm visiting with Matthew Bogue, State Policy Director from the South Dakota Farm Bureau. Hey, Matt, how are you today? Doing well. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about where you're from and and, and your farm? Yeah, so I, I grew up on a fifth-generation family farm in southeast South Dakota. So grew up about 45 minutes south of Sioux Falls. Um, but my family, we also farm in central South Dakota. So kind of similar in North Dakota, you know, we have the Missouri River that goes through the middle of our state. Um, so grew up farming both east and west rivers, what I could call it, two very different types of agriculture. But I'm um, also had a family that was really involved in Farm Bureau. And um, through college, I was involved in Collegiate Farm Bureau and uh, interned in our governor's office for a semester and also worked in our state senate um, legislature. So kind of got a taste of, of politics there and um, had a really good mentor who was working for Farm Bureau at the time. And he asked if I wanted to come work for them and be their lobbyist. And um, I said, yes. And, and here I am today. So I do the lobbying during our annual legislative session. Um, and then a lot of our state policy work. So any governmental affairs or regulatory issues, so on and so forth. Do you still farm, Matt? So I still farm um, when I can. So I help my, my mom and dad. They still farm in both parts of the state. And then I farm a little bit um, more just in, in central South Dakota. And then I actually, I run a, a herd of um, registered purebred black Angus cattle. So um, good color some cows and you bet. So, so yeah, so we have some livestock and um, do that and grew up in 4-H and FFA and showed cattle and sheep and all that, all that fun stuff. So I um, okay. definitely have strong roots in agriculture and I appreciate having the opportunity to work for uh, South Dakota's largest ag organization and, and definitely being a part of those conversations. Today, we're discussing Measure 1, a ballot initiative in North Dakota to amend our Constitution to put term limits on our state legislators and our governor. And I reached out to Matt to talk about what term limits are like in South Dakota. So, Matt, can you just tell us a little bit about the term limits in South Dakota and the history about, you know, have they been part of your state since the beginning or how did they get adopted? Yeah, so South Dakota, we do have term limits for all of our constitutional offices. So the governor, the auditor, secretary of state, attorney general, um, and then also for our, our legislators. So how it works is for the executive branch or all your constitutional offices, it's pretty much the same as like the United States president. They're given two four-year terms. And then the legislature, what, they, what they're given is they can have four two-year terms. So in, in either chamber. So if you're a representative, you can serve in the legislature for a total of eight years. Um, or if you're a senator, you can serve in the Senate for a total of eight years. These term limits, they haven't been a part of uh, South Dakota since 
statehood back in 1889. They were really looked at in the actually in the 90s, and there was a measure that was successful in being passed. And something that's unique to South Dakota versus the North Dakota provision is that you can technically be termed out of the Senate or the House, whichever one you're in, but a lot of times we'll call it a flip-flop. So the key language in, in our constitution now is that you can't serve more than eight years or four terms consecutively in either chamber. So what will happen is we have a legislator who's actually served for 24 years, I believe, She's our chair of appropriations, has a really large amount of institutional knowledge, but she's been moving back and forth from the House to the Senate. So she'll serve eight years in the House. Then as soon as her term is up, then she'll move to the Senate, serve eight years, then back to the House, which is something unique. I, from what I've been able to read up on the North Dakota constitutional amendment, it doesn't look like that's the case. So once you're up for your eight years, you're done. And that would have been, that'd be really detrimental, at least to South Dakota, if that language had been in, in place. And I'm glad back in the 90s that that wasn't, where at least you can have that institutional knowledge carry on and, and definitely help with the legislative process. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think there's just a lot of general questions out there about this term limits measure, what it all encompasses, who it affects, some thoughts that it's the federal or federal delegation, et cetera, and bringing that clarity is really good. Tell me a little bit then about what some of the consequences of term limits have been in South Dakota and um, what you've seen there. A little bit different. So now that we have term limits, one of the unfortunate things is, especially when you start looking at party leadership, and usually like you can think of the chair of appropriations as someone who's been there a long time, they understand the budget. And I I don't know for sure what North Dakota's budget is, but we have about a $5.8 billion budget on an annual basis. And our legislature, they meet once a year for 40 days. So within our constitution, you have to have a balanced budget within 40 work days, pretty much about it's about three months in the legislative session. So that's by law, that's a mandate. So as soon as term limits were set in, now you have individuals that are either going back and forth from each chamber and it takes them, you know, at least probably two or three terms. So, if, you know, two to four years to get into those areas of influence. So, you know, you could think of one of our, our current senator who's the chair of appropriations. So she just came over to the, from the house. Well, it's going to take her a while now to get kind of back up in the ranks, which can kind of be unfortunate because when you have all the institutional knowledge and it's taken away, it takes longer for the process. Actually, our appropriations was somewhat of a mess this past session because typically our house and our Senate are joint. They work together. They were completely split and you had different appropriations committees that were fighting against each other. And I think a lot of that goes back to when people are you know, there for a long time and they understand how the system works and, and how we actually legislate versus a lot of times now with the term limits, you're thinking of more of a political mindset versus, hey, what's really best now for South Dakota? Because, you know, I only have so much time now in this chamber. I'm going to try to do what I can to really move up in the ranks and get that political capital, so to speak, versus if they know they can be there for, you know, 20 years. Now they're looking at the end goal here. You know, what can I do that's really going to make an impact in South Dakota? or North Dakota in your guys' case, versus now looking, you know, okay, I need to win my next election. I need to do as much as I can just really quickly. And a lot of it can just be for political reasons, not necessarily make it an actual impact. So there's some people that would say that that getting along between the chambers is actually a bad thing because you see getting together and spending more. Whereas if there's a little bit of conflict between the chambers, then you're going to see 
less spending happen. And so there's that sentiment out there that we don't really need the chambers to get along and we don't really need them to to come together on things. Yeah. So it's it's different than the federal level. So a lot of times people, you know, like the House of Representatives out in Congress, that's, you know, they hold the people's purse. So any appropriation or funding, usually it has to start in the House. But in South Dakota, you can have a funding bill start in the Senate. It's also important for, for voters to distinguish in terms of funding. You know, you should have meaningful spending and they should be invested in long-term projects that, that truly benefit. So, for example, we had some conflict between the chambers and that was almost aimed towards, hey, like this person's bringing this bill and I need to get this person out because I might need their seat now in the Senate. So if that person could just continue on their term in the House, well, now they have to move over to the Senate if they want to continue their legislative activity, but they need that senator out of his spot. So you have some of that stuff going on, which can definitely create conflict, especially in South Dakota, too. If you look before term limits, there were a lot of really strong, fiscally conservative ideas that were passed by obviously both chambers of the legislature and signed a law by the governor. We had a huge property tax reduction that was passed. I mean, that was influential at lower property tax values by almost 20 percent. And actually, my mentor who worked for Farm Bureau prior to me, it took until like 2016 for those property tax levels to come back. So you can think from the 90s to 2016, that's a long time (laughs) um, for that to come back in place. So, you know, you had that institutional knowledge and and a lot of these individuals who knew how to really be conservative in state government and how to make those appropriations in meaningful areas versus unfortunately just be political. And then you spend dollars that maybe didn't need to be spent in that way, shape or form. Property tax reduction would probably be a prime example that was Signed into law by Governor Janklow. Um, he was kind of one of our more popular governors for a couple different reasons. But yeah, I mean, just at the end of the day, the institutional knowledge and understanding how the state budgets work and, and also how the local budgets work. I think you have a lot of legislators who now, because the turnover is so fast, they get to peer. And for example, in South Dakota, all of our property taxes, those all stay at the local level. For example, if you have your school districts, that's how they're financed. If you have your county roads, the rest of infrastructure, those are built off of property taxes. So a lot of times people will get to the state government and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to reduce all these property taxes, which, yeah, you you can fix it in the case of Governor Janklow. But that required a lot of precision and need to work with local governments versus just somebody trying to ramrod something through. And then in two years, you have to come back and fix it. The relationship building, the institutional knowledge from the fiscal side is is paramount for people to be there for a while to at least understand it. You mentioned that some of that internal conflict isn't necessarily because of ideologies or somebody has a, a different philosophy on spending, but more of a political ladder climbing, so to speak, where it's more about the seat or, or who's in power and how term limits can play a role in that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely the case, unfortunately. I can think of a couple of times that that's happened where someone introduced a couple of bills to target a specific legislator because they knew that they were going to need their seat. You know, let's say Senator A had two more terms left in his spot, but Senator B was going to be termed out. So Representative B needed to take Senator A out in order to continue his or her legislative career. So it can definitely be it can be interesting at times. I'm glad you brought up property tax because South Dakota spending slash property tax moves, those have been looked at in North Dakota and, and applauded for the work that you guys have done there to really slow down the growth of property tax and and slow down the, the growth of your state spending. And 
definitely applaud you there. And, and it's interesting that those decisions were made pre-term limits. And I think I think property tax is one of those particular things that there's a lot of complicated things that go into it, different formulas, et cetera, that takes a lot of institutional knowledge or, or just that's a fancy way of saying a lot of experience to understand, okay, what goes into this property tax formulation? How do we look at agricultural ground versus commercial ground versus residential, et cetera? And that takes a lot of experience and a lot of looking at, okay, what have we done before? Where are we going as a state? And and so that's interesting that those steps that you guys have taken have been pre-term limits. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a little bit of background too. So for property taxation, the county budget can only increase by 3% or inflation, whichever is less. That's in state law. So that that's what's really restricted, you know, just these massive growths in property taxes and really protected the South Dakota property taxpayer. But there was this, a legislator who was relatively new who came to Pierre and, you know, she wanted to really lessen the values out in the Black Hills. Unfortunately, or good or bad, however you look at it, um, the Black Hills are a destination where a lot of people are moving to right now. A lot of out-of-staters are coming in and paying cash and really driving up the values. And depending on if a school district were to opt out of the property tax cap or so on and so forth, there was a legislator who wanted to change the law. And, and kind of just to your point, you know, where they don't have the experience or quite understand how everything works, what she thought her bill was doing was completely the opposite. Um, so what she thought would you know, have reduced property taxes on, you know, local ranchers and homeowners out there would have actually shifted the entire tax burden to anybody who owned cropland or all of your businesses. So there was no property tax reduction. It just would have hurt everybody else and made them pay the rest of the burden. So where people think it's a a good idea, and I think for the most part, mean well, um, but just because they don't have that that knowledge on, on how the system will work, um, can that really have negative consequences? Have you seen some of that expertise shift to the agencies or the executive branch? Definitely. So as soon as term limits came about, I would say the executive branch, there's more power there and the ability to, I don't know if sway is the right word, but like knowledge is power. And if you understand how the system works versus a freshman legislator who's coming in, um, there's just so much to learn in just overall state government. It's impossible to do it. And even, even within eight years, or I mean, even our chair of appropriations, she tells me, you know, she's been there for 20 some odd years. She's still learning stuff every single day, that there's definitely more influence, I guess would be probably the correct term in the executive branch, but also from the aspect of the different lobbying groups. You know, it shifts the power away from the legislators and puts it towards, you know, special, more special interest groups that are maybe trying to change just very specific portions within state law. And then the department, so within South Dakota, we call them blue badges. Um, they represent like our Department of Ag and Natural Resources or um, the Department of Health, so on and so forth. They had the opportunity to lobby and, and testify on bills. So they definitely have, I would say, the upper hand versus legislators. How has term limits affected your rural areas or your rural representation? Do term limits make it hard to... Or do term yeah. limits make it hard to to field um, candidates who are in production agriculture? How has it affected those areas? Yeah, so it's definitely unique. Um, you know, you have some individuals who may now they only want to serve in the Senate or they only want to serve in the House and they don't want to move over to a different chamber. Um, we like to say the Senate Senate is a symphony and the House is a rock concert. 
Um, <laughs> so that's, that's what we like to call it. But it can be difficult in certain times because, you know, everybody is, there's people who are busy and, you know, different qualified candidates, they may only want to serve in a specific chamber or that's what they're used to and it's different procedures. And so then they'll choose not to continue after their eight years. Um, but probably the, the larger issue with term limits is just building those relationships. Uh, you know, even, you know, South Dakota and North Dakota, they're very similar in terms of our demographics. And, you know, we have high population centers. I mean, you know, I would say Sioux Falls and Fargo could almost be sister cities. They're very similar, I would say, yeah. in their overall demographics and just the shape, look, whatever. So as South Dakota continues to grow and you have those urban areas that are growing at a faster rate. So, for example, 70 percent of our growth in the past decade took place in Sioux Falls and Rapid City. So we're losing a lot of our represent, representation in the rural areas, but our legislative districts are, are growing at an enormous pace in the, the urban areas. So in order to develop the relationships with those legislators that are from Sioux Falls or Rapid, or in your case, it would be you know, Fargo or Bismarck, it takes a lot, or really take the time to teach them, you know, what is agriculture and sure that you know, agriculture is South Dakota's number one industry by eight times. So it's eight times larger than tourism, which is our second, in order to teach them about, you know, not only it's just economic impact, but overall the decisions you make on rural health and, and everything else that, that impacts it, that doesn't happen overnight. And by the time you kind of have someone trained, for lack of better words, now they're done. And now you got to move on to the next person. But you have to spend all those years and trying to educate them on different bills that are coming forth. Term limits definitely make it a challenge in just terms of an overall education about agriculture. And we're in you know Midwest states where ag is our number one industry. So as things do continue to change and, and we have less of a rural representation, it's only going to get harder. And I don't see term limits helping in in any way, shape, or form. So in, in South Dakota, it sounds like you have talked about some of the issues with, with term limits and the flip-flopping back and forth between chambers. Is there been any flavor, any taste out there to change back to no term limits or... Has that been part of your discussion at all? That's a good question. At this time, there there really hasn't been any discussion. I would say at this point with people being able to to move back and forth between chambers, we don't have, I would, it's not like a true term limit where you're completely done. So I, I don't see it really changing to go back, especially term limits with, you know, out in Washington, D.C. And, and everybody thinks, you know, the federal level when you're voting on this stuff. And that's not the case. There's just that larger sentiment where people are like, you know, so far it's kind of working and we probably don't want to change it, but it would definitely be interesting if it was put on the ballot. But at this point, I, there's really no groups that are eyeing that. Yeah. We have, we have plenty of other things that are on our, our ballot right now that we have plenty of issues with. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that I didn't ask that you can think of adding? Now, this measure applies to the governor, right? As yes. Well? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, Currently, like Governor Nome is, after this term, if she's reelected, she'll be done um, in the governor's office. She'll be termed out. But one of our previous governors and the one who delivered the property tax reduction was Governor Bill Janklow. And love him or hate him, he can kind of be a controversial figure in South Dakota, but he was our longest serving governor. He served four terms, actually. Mm. With him, he actually, he delivered that property tax reduction. And for, in terms of just a conservative, you know, really getting things done. He was kind of the guy who did a lot of things for South Dakota. I, a lot of people that I've just talking with people in the halls and the Capitol and Pier, you know, a lot of people didn't like him. And I, you can maybe categorize him a little bit like Trump. He was pretty rash. Like 
if he'd have Twitter today, it would be interesting. <laughs> but he made the legislature better at the same time. You know, he served two terms, and they took a break, and they came back and served another two terms from any a lot of you know tax cuts. He was very innovative in terms of you know our spending. He closed uh, a university and made it a prison, which wasn't popular at the time, but. At the long run, the university wasn't functioning. It was losing money and we needed to increase prisons. So he, he did a lot of kind of hard decisions. But at the same time, I think if he would just would have been termed out right away, South Dakota wouldn't have a lot of the benefits that he had. And and again, it, he was kind of controversial. Well, it, it, it's a two-sided coin on how you want to look at it. I think if you have a really good candidate out there and someone who generally genuinely cares about the state, do you really want to limit that person's ability to make an impact? Now, on the other side, you could say, well, if there's someone who's bad who just keeps getting reelected, you know, that's that's not good either. But I I would think that the voters would have enough sense to not reelect someone who's doing a poor job. I think that Midwest work ethic and the ability to to distinguish good from bad is, is still out there. And I don't think you should cut someone off from their job just because they've been in there for a certain amount of time. You're really putting an artificial limit on something that historically in the United States of America has been shown to be a to be a people's decision. They get to decide when the person that represents them is done. And if they still like that person, they get to vote them in again. And if they don't like that person, they they vote somebody else in. And so you really are imposing a fake end to somebody um, if you if you have term limits. Yeah, I think a good way to look at it is you know, the, the governor or, you know, secretary of state what, or your cabinet secretaries, you know, um, whichever one they are, you know, they're kind of like the CEO of whatever area of government they're in. So the governor is kind of like the CEO pretty much of the state of South Dakota. And what other industry or area of life is a CEO, for lack of better words, fired just because he or she has been in there for eight years? You know, if there's a, an, a bad issue that comes up and they don't perform well, then things will kind of resolve themselves. And in this case, the voters wouldn't reelect them. There could be other measures that, you know, impeachment or whatnot that hopefully, I don't think North Dakota's ever gone through that. <laughs> South Dakota hasn't. We, our attorney general was, but that was, that was not fun. Um, <laughs> but you can kind of think of it from that way too. I think the voters, at least in the Midwest, still have a pretty good understanding on how well their elected officials are doing. Yeah. Well, and in North Dakota, we've only had two governors that have served beyond two terms. One was William Guy and Governor William Guy served 12, I believe. And so Mm -hmm. we really haven't had a huge problem with governors acting like kings in North Dakota and never retiring. Usually there's there's pretty good turnover. And, you know, you can make the argument too, that you're dealing with basically like um, executive positions, whether it's the governor or in your case, looking at several other seats and the legislature are completely different different uh, roles that, you know, need to be treated differently. A big thing too, in South Dakota, we have an annual legislative session. Hmm. But North Dakota, it's every other year. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. So if you think about your term limit, so they're given eight years in each chamber. So in theory, a legislator could serve 16 years because they could serve eight years in the Senate and then eight years in the House. Yep, that's right. So they serve 16 years, but in theory, they're only in Bismarck eight of those years. Mm -hmm. So if there's someone out there who's doing an excellent job, you're kind of tying their hands behind their back and restricting on what they can do because they only have every other year. You know, in South Dakota, and, and it could be good or bad or indifferent, every state operates a little bit different, which it, it is what it is. Doesn't mean it's good or bad. But 
you're re- really restricting the amount of time they have to influence and bring forth, you know, they could, there could be some excellent ideas. And you think within agriculture, rural representation, you know, if you have somebody who's, who's really been, let's say they've been in Farm Bureau and other organizations and been on the school board and have all this experience, but then all of a sudden now they're done. Yeah, you're really capping the individual in a, a pretty short amount of time for them to gain that experience too, because they're only there every other year. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, one of the discussions has been if, and, and in North Dakota, there hasn't been a sentiment to move to an annual session, but one of the discussions has been is if this passes, if there's also going to be a push then by the legislature to move it annually because of those term limits, because there is such limited time for serving, then is there going to, is that going to therefore mean annual session? And, and that, that is a fear, a, a fear here. So it'll be interesting that if this measure does pass, whether, whether we keep our biannual annual session or not so yep and i will say legislative sessions are expensive yeah oh yeah so you're probably saving money doing the every other one versus annually they they are not cheap otherwise i'd like if i did top three issues i would say number one is the time to build relationships and educate individuals about agriculture's impact to the state or both the state and local economies um the second one would be the fiscal impact so just being able to understand appropriations and the whole budget, how things are appropriated, who to work with, who needs to come to the table and be a part of these discussions. Just like really quickly, you know, there have been legislators who've come in and then they start going down a trail and, and thinking that, oh, I know what I'm doing. I can I can do this stuff. And they forget that there's multiple organizations out there that this affects them every single day. That doesn't go very well when someone starts messing with a piece of statute that can affect either the cities or or the counties or, you know, ag producers, um, and they leave those voices out. The third thing that I'd say is probably most important when you're looking at term limits is obviously look at the end goal. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Is the point of term limits to just get people out? Is it to try to get more voter participation? I'd say everybody has the opportunity to run right now. If they choose to or not, that's obviously their decision. But from what I've seen, term limits really don't increase voter participation. I think it pretty steady with or without them. Um, all you do is just re- reduce the participation of experienced individuals who know how to run your state. Awesome. That's a good list. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for sharing with us your experience down in South Dakota, our sister state, and sharing with us what term limits have been like and how term limits have impacted South Dakota government and rural South Dakota. So Thank you so much for visiting with me today and uh, hope to talk again soon. You've been listening to Straight Talk with NDFB. To learn more about how Measure One will impact North Dakota, visit us at ndfb.org.